At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. It's the Son of a Butch podcast. We come to you every Wednesday. I'm your host, Claude Harmon. Uh, This week, um, I thought I'd answer a question I get a lot, which is what is a normal week like uh, on tour? So this week, uh, it's the first live event. I'm down at Mayakoba. Three guys in the field this week, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Pat Perez. Um, so it's the first event of the live season. So it's a little bit like getting back to work. Um, certainly everybody's really excited about getting back, playing. It's been a long layoff and uh, it's certainly a, a long layoff, uh, certainly a long layoff for me. But I, I, I think for most of the live guys, it's probably the longest break a lot of them have had in their entire professional career. I mean, they've almost been off um, almost three months. Um, some of the guys played a couple weeks ago in um, Saudi Arabia. Some of the guys went on and played on the Asian tour. Uh, but this is kind of the first real tournament of, of the year for for Liv. And um, my job this week is is just to try and um, check up on all the guys and and kind of get an idea of what they're doing, how they're playing. Um, I've been doing a lot of work at home um, with the guys. Um, got to do some work in Saudi, but um, it's a little bit different um, tournament weeks versus um, home weeks. So three players this week. And the biggest question I get asked uh, a lot is how do you balance three players? And um, I guess the easy answer to that is... <laughs> It's a lot of juggling. Um, you know, there's only, there's three players that you've got to work with, but there's only one of you. There's one of me. So um, I'm trying to to get the most out of my day and get the most out of my time as I can. Um, I'm lucky in that, um, you know, with the way that uh, Liv does things, uh, DJ and Brooks are, are in different teams, but DJ and Pat are on the same team. So uh, they tend to play a lot of their practice rounds together. And when I was on the PJ Tour, and I think most instructors that have multiple players, uh, there's a bunch of them out there. I mean, Sean Foley's got a bunch of players. Uh, Justin Parsons has a lot of players. Um, I think everybody has. Pete Cowan's always had, you know, a ton of players. So I think it's all about balancing. And so what you end up trying to do is, is get the, the players that you work with um, to play practice rounds together. So I'm lucky in that DJ and Pat um, play the majority of their practice rounds together. When Brooks and DJ were on the PGA Tour and I was working with both of them, they would play a lot of practice rounds together. Back in the day uh, when I was working with Ricky Fowler and, and Jimmy Walker, they were friends. They would play a lot of practice rounds together. So um, I'm lucky in that respect in that I'm able to have 
um, multiple players in the same group when you go out on the golf course. Makes it a little bit difficult when they're on the driving range. Um, so you're kind of bouncing around. You're trying to balance everybody's schedule. And, and, that, and that's one thing I think everybody should try and get an idea of. Individual golfers, individual athletes kind of practice when they want to. Uh, it's not a team. So it's not like a NFL team or an NBA team where the team practices when the team practices. So everybody practices when the team practices. Patrick Mahomes' practice schedule is based off of when the Kansas City Chiefs are going to practice. He doesn't do his own thing, doesn't do his own practice. He practices with the team. But in individual sports, the players can kind of set their own schedules and kind of set their own um practice schedules as well. So um, DJ tends to like to work out in the morning. Uh, so he got up this morning, worked out first thing this morning, and I think he was there um, right around 10 o'clock. I got to the golf course. I always tend to try and get to the golf course about an hour to two hours before I know the players are going to be there. That's just, that's me. That's my um, OCD. I don't like to feel rushed and everything. And, and that gives me a, an opportunity to kind of sit down. The caddies normally get there before the players. So that gives you an opportunity to sit down with the caddies and kind of talk to them about what they've been seeing, where they're at. But obviously with it being a new year and a, and a new start to the season, we don't have a lot of data points for that. Um, so this morning, first guy that I got to on the range, Brooks was on the range. Um, I got to spend some time with him in Saudi Arabia when he played um, the Asian Tour event. He played decent... Um, you know, it was a little, little kind of, I wouldn't say rusty, but it's the early part of the year. I think one of the things going into tournaments if players have had long layoffs is it's not necessarily the golf swing that's going to be the issue. I think it's a lot of the nuances around the greens. It's hitting shots. It's kind of the three-quarter in between a seven and an eight and what kind of shot you're going to hit. That's the kind of stuff that you can't really simulate in practice, right? We can try and do that as much as we want on the driving range. We can try and do as much as, as we want at home. But ultimately, there's a big, big, massive, massive difference between playing at home and then playing in a tournament. And there's a massive difference between practice rounds and range sessions at home than there are once you're at a tournament. Because you know, regardless of what day it is, um, there is a test coming. The test is once the tournament starts. Um, so in Liv's case, they play 54 holes on the PJ Tour. They play 72 holes. So the, the, the test is coming and the test is going to be Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So um, you're trying to get them ready. You know, it's kind of on countdown. So uh, we all flew in yesterday. Uh, so it's we got a practice round Tuesday, got a practice round Wednesday, Pro-Am Thursday, and then they'll tee it up on Friday. So when the players get to tournaments, they know that they've got a condensed period of time and they know they've got a finite period of time on how much they can get done um, for the week. So we've got Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to kind of get all the work that we need to do. To do. In an ideal world, my job would be not saying too much, right? I mean, that would be an ideal situation. I think a lot of people look at coaches and they see us standing on driving ranges behind the players. There are a lot of times that you know, we're not saying anything. Um, I think the biggest thing that that, that tour coaches um, do is they are a second pair of eyes for the player. So very similar to use, you know, to, to use an analogy with football. Patrick Mahomes, after every series of downs, he comes over and sits down and they kind of show him 
what the schemes are. They kind of go through what he's looking at. They show him pictures. They say, hey, listen, this is what the defense is doing. This is what the defense has been doing. And he kind of gets a good gauge on on what that is, right? And in a lot of ways, um, we're not necessarily doing that. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to look at what we've been working on in practice and, you know, seeing, you know, we every player has their own kind of individual DNA. They have their own kind of individual swing. So in the case of the three guys that I'm working with, DJ, Brooks, and Pat, DJ and Brooks both fade the golf ball. Pat Perez likes to draw the golf ball. So how you're wor- how I'm working with these players is, is different. And each individual player is is a different person. And, you know, everyone has kind of their own personalities and their own kind of way of doing things. So when you have multiple players, you're dealing as much, I think, with their personalities as you are with their golf swings. Everybody kind of has their own kind of idiosyncrasies. And and I think um, players want to be taught in a specific way that's specific to them. And you kind of learn that early. You kind of learn what players like, how much information. There are times where players want lots of information. There are times where players don't want a lot of information. There are players that want a lot of information. And then there are players that don't want a lot of information. In the case of Brooks and DJ, they're two players that they don't want a lot of information. They don't play their best when they have a lot of thoughts in their head. So, I think a lot of what my job with with Brooks and DJ is to try and manage them as much as people as you're managing them as golfers Um, and the way that they learn, the way that they take on information, the information they want is all kind of player dependent and it's it's based a lot on their personalities, what kind of... um, not so much learning, but how they process the information. Um, So, you know, just in going through it, uh, DJ, DJ doesn't want a lot of information. And I think a lot of players would be surprised that DJ is really kind of a feel player. Um, you wouldn't think that because DJ's career has been defined by distance, length. Um, he's kind of known for the way he drives the golf ball. Driving the golf ball is kind of his calling card, right? It's part of his DNA. But to be honest with you, DJ doesn't want a lot of information. Um, he uses a launch monitor, um, but he's really only using it for some very, very specific things. Um, When DJ uses a launch monitor, he's normally got a carry distance, he's got a total distance, and then he'll look at spin. And so based off of those numbers, I've never been around a player that has been able to kind of hit a shot, look at what that shot is doing, and then basically almost be able to call out exactly or within a few hundred RPMs of what the spin is. It doesn't matter if it's a wedge, doesn't matter if it's a nine, seven, five driver. I think probably more so with the wedges and the driver, it's almost like DJ has a sixth sense. He's like, he's clued in. Um, He's very, very specific in um, the way that he practices as well. DJ likes to, um, his warmups on tournament days are probably the longest of, of anybody on tour. DJ's normally, from the time he leaves the locker room and is going to do his practice or warm up and then go to the golf course, he's right around an hour and a half. And just to give you the, the opposite of that, Brooks is right around 30 minutes. So DJ's warm up is an hour and a half, Brooks is 30. DJ 
spends probably about 45 minutes to an hour of that warm-up in practice hitting wedges. So all of his wedge distances are kind of under 150 yards. And so he's really, really tuned into um, kind of the swing that he needs to make. DJ has, with his wedges, DJ has three swings. He has a half, a full, or half, three-quarter, and full. And those are the lengths of the backswing. So he's making a half backswing and a half follow-through, three-quarter length backswing, three-quarter length follow-through, and then full back and through. And he has three different yardage. So with all of his wedges, he's going to have a half, a three-quarter, and a full. And those are all going to go different distances. And, and that's really where he's kind of dialed in. So the only thing he's looking at when he's hitting these wedge shots is does it go the right distance and does it have the right spin? And I, I honestly, it happens four or five times a year. He'll be hitting a shot with, let's say, his his sand wedge and he'll hit two or three of them and he'll say to me, is that a good swing? And I'll say, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good swing. And he's like, yeah, that's not going the right distance. It's either going too far or it's going too short. And he's looking at the spin and he's looking at what the club is doing and, and he'll hit a couple more and he'll say to AJ's brother who caddies for him and say, AJ, can you go get the wedge checked? Because with that swing, it should produce this distance and this number. And it, it, it's it's uncanny. AJ will take the, the wedge to the truck and they'll look at the loft or the lie and they'll say, yeah, it was out one degree this way, one degree that way. Probably more so for, for the tour players wear and tear because of all the travel that they do. They're constantly putting their clubs on airplanes. Clubs can get bent. So DJ's practice is very much wedge specific. Um, so today... Same thing. He's looking at wedges. Um, he went over, um, he had a little bit of a, a back issue a couple weeks ago, so he has not been hitting a lot of golf balls. But um, today was actually really surprising. I was surprised at, at how well he was hitting it with such a long layoff. Um, I guess I shouldn't probably be surprised by that because um, a long layoff for tour players, I mean, they need that. They need that break. And and I was really quite um, surprised and, and really quite excited about how well DJ was moving. But when I'm working with, with DJ, I'm looking at some specific things in his golf swing. So because both Brooks and DJ want to fade the golf ball and they have a lot of speed, we're always looking at the takeaway and the downswing. And both Brooks and DJ um, both struggle when the takeaway gets a little bit too neutral going back. Sometimes with the wedges, DJ can get it a little bit inside. And then as the club is coming down, the club gets a little bit inside going that way. And for both the guys at Brooks and DJ, because they both like to fade the golf ball, um, they want to get the path left. They want to get that golf ball starting left of the target and then fading back to the target. Um, so we're checking the backswing. We're checking the downswing. Um, we're checking a lot with DJ um, and Brooks, I would say. A lot of what happens to them when they get off is um, – it's basics, right? It's posture, it's distance from the golf ball, too far, too close, um, golf ball too far back, golf ball too far forward, um, just alignment. Wanted to talk about and thank our friends at Cobra Puma Golf. 
As you guys know, I'm a Cobra Puma guy. I've uh, been with the brand for a long time and I'm just a huge fan of their product. They've got a brand new Aerojet driver, which just dropped. I got mine in December and loved it. Put it straight into the bag. They've got three models. You've got the Aerojet, the low spin high launch. You've got the Aerojet LS, which is the low spin high launch and the Aerojet Max, which gives you the max forgiveness. Um, they've got a bunch of technology in this new driver, the PWR bridge weighting, the advanced aerodynamic design, and the PowerShell hot face. So good aerodynamics. The, the driver's fast. The ball comes off it quick. I think if you give it a try, you're going to increase some distance, some ball speed. And like all the, the Cobra drivers, it looks cool. All three are now available for purchase, but want you all to keep an eye on my social because we are going to be doing a little giveaway and we are going to be giving away one of the Aerojets coming up soon. You can learn more and pick up one right now at CobraGolf.com. So I want to thank everybody at Cobra Puma Golf. If you hadn't had a chance to check it out, go check it out. I think the biggest thing for me, in my opinion, that, that, that tour coaches do is we are a second pair of eyes because the player can't see themselves, right? A player can only look at what the golf ball's doing, but they can't visually see themselves. In other sports, again, I used football as, as an example. When players come off of football fields, the offense goes with the offense, the defense goes with the defense, and then the offensive or defensive coordinator, the running back coach, whatever individual coach will come over and say, okay, this is what you're doing. This is what was going on. They'll show them some plays. So we don't have necessarily the availability to do that, but I use a tremendous amount of video because both Brooks and DJ, um, I, th I would classify them as very much visual learners. They, they want to look at golf swings. DJ, sometimes if he's struggling or trying to work, if we're trying to work on a backswing or work on a downswing, I'll film one. I'll film it from you know the down the line angle and then I'll film it from face on and I'll show it to him and he'll say, um, and I always film one at slow motion and then one at full speed. And so what DJ tends to do is he'll look at the full speed one and he'll just watch it over and over again. He'll watch it like five times in a row. If it's, if it's from down the line, he's looking, whatever he's looking at, his backswing, his downswing, he'll say, hey, run that at full speed. And he'll look at my phone and we'll run it at full speed. And he's like, okay, let me, let me look at that in slow motion. And then normally he'll kind of take my phone and he'll kind of you know jog the frames on where he wants it. But he is a very, very visual learner. Um, a lot of times if we're working on things, I will, I've got an app on my phone to where I can, you know, take still pictures and kind of show positions side by side. And I do that a lot of times if we're working on trying to get the golf club a little bit more in front. Um, I'll look at a, a, a swing where the golf club was a little bit neutral, a little bit too much inside. And I'll kind of put those two back swings side by side. And then I'll kind of put the two down swings side by side. And, and DJ has this really kind of uncanny way to kind of look at it and go, okay, so where, where there are other players that want to look at, um, they want to look at launch monitor numbers. There are coaches that want to see launch monitor numbers. Um, the, Brooks and DJ are just not those type of players. Um, doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. There are guys that that want a lot of information. Um, you know, I guess the best example I could use would be you know Justin Rose and Sean Foley. And I think you know Foles and 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 Rosie, they they're always looking at TrackMan numbers. Um, Sean 
always looking at numbers because I think the way that Sean thinks about the golf swing is, you know, you look at the numbers, um, that's the way his brain works. Um, some players aren't like that. My brain doesn't work like that. I mean, it just doesn't. I'm, I'm not a math guy. I'm not a science guy. Um, if I'm looking at the numbers on a launch monitor, I'm looking at them for for 100% something specific. I don't want to see every shot um, on a launch monitor because the launch monitor is 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 not really telling me what's happening. What's telling me what's happening with the player is what my eyes can see. And I, I think a lot of um, instructors think that, you know, launch monitors, that's, that's going to be kind of the end all be all. I always say the computer and the monitor that you need is in your eyes. So I'm looking at what the ball flight's doing. I'm, and, and, and specifically with Brooks and DJ, I think those two were looking a, a lot at, at start lines, how they're starting the golf ball, where they're starting the golf ball. Um, and, and then the other thing, going back to that second pair of eyes, um, I think one of my main jobs is to kind of do kind of a 180 kind of 360 view of, of what the player is doing, you know, walk around, look at the ball position. And a lot of times I'll just say to, to Brooks or DJ, hey, just move the golf ball half a ball more forward, move the golf ball half a, half a ball back. Hey, just your shoulders are a little shut. I'm always looking at what I can see that the player is doing before they hit the golf ball. Um, because to me, a lot of what happens with tour players and, and competitive golfers, a lot of, I wouldn't say the mistakes, but a lot of where they get into trouble is the way they're addressing the golf ball. And, you know, with the speed of, specifically with guys like Brooks and DJ, they've got so much speed that if the setup gets bad, the alignment gets bad, the ball position gets bad, they can start hitting the golf ball a long way offline because there's just a slight, you know, fault in how they're setting up. So I'm always, especially early in the year, now that we're getting back to playing, now that we're ramping up back into tournaments, I'm hyper-focused on, you know, the basics, all the stuff that isn't sexy in, in modern teaching right now, ball position, grip, stance, posture, alignment. That was kind of the mantra of when my dad grew up, when my dad was playing, you know, my dad's you know, going to, going to be 80 at the end of, of this summer, you know, grip, stance, posture, alignment. That's what he grew up on. He didn't grow up on launch monitors. He didn't grow up on 3D. He didn't grow up on all of the technology and all of the things we know. Um, and, and so I'm always trying to say, okay, what can I look at and what can I see? And I just will say to, you know, in an ideal world, my job at a, at a, at a tour event would be not to say too much. I mean, that would be a 100% win for both me and the player, because that would mean they're in a pretty good position, right? They're in a pretty good place to where we're not going to have to make a lot of changes. And in an ideal world, um, I won't be making, we won't be making a lot of changes, right? We're not going to be making a lot of, you know, backswing changes. We're just trying to make some small little tweaks, knowing that they're on countdown, right? It's Tuesday. So that means whatever we were working on today, they've got Wednesday and Thursday to try and embed that, implement that, and then they've got to go play the game. Then the test starts, right? So, um, you know, like I said, DJ hasn't been playing a lot of competitive golf. Um, he really has, I mean, has, this is going to be the first competitive tournament DJ's played since Miami uh, of last year, I think in October. So, you know, we don't have a lot of data points on what he's been doing. Yes, we've watched him play hit balls in practice. Yes, I mean, we played golf all weekend, um, but 
what they're doing at home has very little bearing on what they're going to do once the tournament starts because you can be hitting it great at home and hit it terrible at a tournament. You cannot be playing great at a tournament or at a, a, in, in your practice and play good, right? So a lot of it is just basics and, and the basics for DJ's golf swing are pretty much the basics um, for Brooks's golf swing. They like to fade it, keep the golf club in front of them going back, get it back out in front of them coming down. Um, DJ's got that unique head position. Uh, one of the things that we were working on over the weekend, uh, because DJ had a little tweak in his back a couple weeks ago, and I think he just was a little bit kind of reticent to just kind of get through it. So he was hanging back a little. So, and as he was hanging back, his head actually wasn't kind of rotating out towards the target the way it normally does. Um, but that was one of the things I was saying, listen, just make sure you get through it. Don't hang too much back on your, on your right side and just, Get your weight forward. Brooks, a little bit of the same thing. Uh, a little slight alteration to his ball position. Um, the tendency with Brooks is to get the golf ball too far back in his stance. Um, and again, as a fader of the golf ball, that's the death move from him because then on the downswing, um, the path gets too neutral and he can't kind of round the corner, get the, get the club working and exiting left. Um, so this morning, um, a lot of what we were doing with Brooks is just I was checking the ball position and just saying, hey, make sure that ball position doesn't get too far back. Every now and again, it would creep and he would either hit one to the left or he'd hit one to the right. Um, but if that ball position stays nice and forward, um, he's normally in a good place because then he can feel like the chest opens up. He feels like he can turn through it. He feels like he can release the golf club and then he can just basically hit the shots that he wants. Um, Pat Perez is the 180 degree opposite of that. Pat likes and wants to be able to draw the golf ball. He wants to be able to start the golf ball to the right. He wants to be able to curve it back from right to left. So the things I'm working on with, with Brooks and DJ are the opposites of wor what I'm working on with Pat Perez. Pat's tendency, um, the takeaway gets a little bit quick, gets a little bit fast. He can kind of have that little bit of out move going back. The club then on the downswing gets really, really quick in transition, and he just can't shift that path right enough to start the golf ball in the direction that he wants to. So in the same way that with Brooks and DJ as faders, we're trying to have them get the golf club and keep the golf club very much in front of them. In Pat's case, we're trying to have the golf club work very much what he feels like is on the inside, have that downswing work on the inside. Um, you know, I... I wouldn't say that's something that I teach on a regular basis. A lot of players that I work with, I think, do that too much. The golf club gets too inside going back. Then they get kind of too inside coming down. The body gets a little bit slow, and then their hands get a little bit active. Um, and it was something that we kind of keyed in on at the end of last season um, at the Miami event. I, I know that, that, that Pat, um, he sees a draw, right? He sees the golf ball go right to left. We've had some success with Pat in having him hit fades, but I know that kind of the holy grail for him as a player, his his shot that he sees and wants to hit is a draw. So um, the only way that he can feel that is for that backswing to feel like it's almost too much inside. And it's a fine line right now with me as as his coach and as an instructor, because there are times where the golf club in my, in kind of the way I think, and in my opinion, I'm like, that's a little, that's a little deep and that's a little inside. But the way that Pat's body work, Pat doesn't have a lot of rotation. He had a, 
a, a, a hip injury from a car accident years ago on, on his left hip. So Pat has a lot of lateral move to his golf swing, almost a lot of lateral slide to his golf swing. So again, it's the complete 180 degree opposite of, of, of guys like Brooks and DJ. They have speed, they can rotate. Um, Pat doesn't have that, that's not part of his DNA. So my job as the coach is first and foremost, I have to give the player confidence, right? I feel like that is one of my main jobs is to instill confidence in the player. And, and Pat's confidence comes from being able to see the draw, being able to see the golf ball curve from right to left. So this morning we were working on really trying to have that golf club work, what he feels like is inside, and then really trying to get him to feel like he starts that golf ball out to the right. And when he does that, it, the first thing it does is he starts to see the shape that he wants to see, which is a draw. And uh, my job as a coach is to listen to the player. And I ask players, listen, what shapes do you want to hit? What shots do you want to hit? And then I feel like it's my job to say, okay, the player wants to do this. One, can they do that? Do they have the physical ability to, to put the club in these positions? In Pat's case, when he gets the backswing a little bit on the inside, he's able to turn the golf ball over and, and, and draw it. So that was the stuff we did on the range. Um, not too long. Um, and then the guys went to the golf course. So um, I did a lot of bouncing around. Um, you know, DJ and Pat play their practice rounds together. Brooks plays his practice rounds on, on live with um, his team. Uh, so uh, DJ and and Brooks, and, and they're different, right? They've got different teams. So Brooks plays with his team. Pat and DJ tend to play a lot of their practice rounds together. Um, Peter Uline has joined... Um, Dustin's team this week or this year on the aces. So um, Pete Uline was out with us today. So when we're out on the golf course, um, yeah, I mean, again, I'm just checking basics, right? Because I don't want to be working too much swing mechanics while they're on the golf course. Um, I'm talking with the caddies. I'm saying, hey, listen, you know, what, what are you seeing? What do you like here? What do you think about the strategy here? Where do you think the miss should be here? So it's something that it's hard to explain, but um, I love it. I love that kind of collaboration between myself and the player, between me and, and, and the caddy. Um, I really value the practice rounds because um, it's an opportunity for all of us to get there. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about how they're going to play, what clubs are going to hit off the tee. Are they hitting three woods? Are they hitting drivers? Um, I, I think it's fascinating to listen. I mean, I've been doing this, you know, pretty much the majority of my adult life, but it's always fascinating um, to listen to that interaction between the player and the caddy. I love listening to to AJ and, and, and DJ. I love listening to H and, and Pat. Um, I think Ricky Elliott to me is one of the best caddies in the world. The interaction between you know him and Brooks and the way that they kind of go about it, um, and and I think those the caddies as well know their player. They know what type of information, how much information they want. So I just I enjoy the practice round so much because once the tournament starts, um, as a coach, as a, as a, as a golf coach, um, you know, being a professional golfer and and coaching professional golfers, once Thursday or Friday starts. Um, once they get inside the ropes, uh, they basically go to the moon. Um, I can't say anything. They're on another planet. They're inside the ropes, and there is nothing that I can do as as the instructor, as as the coach, to influence what they're doing. So if I see Brooks's 
ball position start to creep too far back, if I see DJ's alignment get a little bit off, if I see Pat start to take the golf club a little bit too much on the outside, um, once they're in a tournament, once from the time they tee off until the time they finish, I can't do anything about it. And, and I'll be honest with you, it is unbelievably frustrating um, when I watch team sports, when I watch college football and watch the adjustments guys like Nick Saban are able to make um, Kirby Smart at Georgia, the, the, the changes they're able to make at halftime, the personnel that they're able to bring in, the play calls that they're able to learn from what happened in the first half. I don't get to do that. Once the player goes inside the ropes and they're playing a competitive round on tour, I'm not allowed to talk to them. I can't say anything to them. I can't do any hand gestures. I try and never really get anywhere close to where they are. Um, I try and get ahead so I can see where the ball's finishing. But I, I, it's just a little thing that that I've always done. I just don't want them to see me. I want them to kind of be in their world focusing on the things that they need to focus on. Um, but it is frustrating. So that's why I think the practice rounds for me are, are, are so important because I'm able to get inside the ropes. I'm able to look at the golf course. I'm able to look at the strategy so that after the tournament rounds finish, we're then able to kind of look at what they're doing, where they were hitting shots because I've been out on the golf course. Um, I kind of know where everything is. Let's take a moment to thank For Wellness for supporting the show. You guys hear me talk about them every week, and that, the reason I do that is because I drink their coffee every week. I know lots of people are focusing on health and wellness as we start the new year, but what I love most about their coffee is that there isn't anything artificial in it. No artificial ingredients, sweeteners, creamers, and all the junk that isn't good for you. It's only the good stuff giving you more energy without typical crashes you get when a lot of your coffee and if you have a lot of sugar in your coffee. Give it a try and use the special code CH3. That code will get you 20% off your order plus free shipping and a free starter kit worth $30 when you visit forwellness.com slash podcast. Again, that's the code CH3 at forwellness.com slash podcast. I think most players now are adopting the nine hole practice rounds. Um, you'll see some players maybe play 18 holes, but um, I think a lot of players, you know, both on live and the PGA tour, um, they're playing nine. They, they might play nine Tuesday. If they're in the pro-am, they know they're probably going to play 18 holes. So a lot of times players get to tournaments. Um, they don't, they get in Monday night, they play nine holes on Tuesday. They play 18 holes on, on Wednesday. And then they, kind of get out. So um, on live, we got in Monday, we're Tuesday, Wednesday. So we'll do nine holes again tomorrow, pro-am on Thursday, and then uh, the tournament starts. But as I said earlier, in an ideal world, um, I'm not saying a lot. Um, I'm not having them work on a lot of technical stuff. Now, there are weeks where the players aren't playing good and you have to get in there and 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 work and, and, and try and fix things. Um, but I always remember years ago, probably six, seven, eight years ago, I think we were in Washington, D.C. at Congressional for the, for the old AT&T. And I was talking to Sean about, you know, our job and stuff like that. And, and it was interesting that Foles said, you know, I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're doctors and, you know, the, the PGA Tour is kind of the battlefield, right? Yes, I know it's not a real battlefield and I'm not trying to make the analogy that golfers are any more important than they are, but 
it's the field of play. And he's like, listen, there's once the tournaments kind of start and once we get here, it's a little bit like we're just doing triage because we can't really do a lot of open heart surgery while they're, you know, in battle, right? And 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 it's 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 important to to, to realize that. Once we get to tournament weeks, because the weeks are what they are, you know when the tournament's going to start, you don't have the availability to to take the car and pull it apart and rebuild the engine because the player has to play. And that's something that's taken me a lot long time to learn. And I've learned by, you know, making a tremendous amount of mistakes, right? And you know, you make mistakes where I think early in my career I was I was way more hands-on, way more information. And and now in an ideal world, I try and do as much of the hard work, the technical work, the drill work. Um, when we're home and when we're in off week so that when we get to tournaments, we're not really doing a lot of, of, of technical, mechanical work because I don't want the players in that headspace. I want them to be in the play headspace. Um, you know, so I, I love the fact that I work with players that hit the golf ball different directions. Um, I don't believe that there's one way to swing the golf club. I don't believe that I don't have a system, right? I don't have every player I work with doing the same thing. I have things in the golf swing that I believe in. I have a philosophy in my own head of things that I think make players hit shots better, but I don't have a specific formula or system. So in that respect, um, I like it that all the players are different to me. Um, You know, DJ is different from Brooks. Brooks is different from Pat. Um, they're in different ages. They're at different stages of their career. They've all got different skill sets. Um, you know, DJ's a freak athlete um, and, you know, unbelievably flexible, uh, tremendous amount of flexibility. Brooks has had some pretty significant catastrophic injuries um, and, you know, we're constantly working around them. Pat is in his mid to late 40s. Um, his body isn't what he, what it once was, but Pat still has a lot of speed. But I'm working with all of these players as individuals and trying to take what they do. And, and you learn your delivery, kind of like being a stand-up comedian. It's a little bit like what the, you know, what kind of crowd is it tonight, right? You, you're playing to your audience. And so I'm working with Pat differently than I'm working with Brooks. And I'm working with Brooks differently than I'm working with DJ. And and I think for me, that's one of the things that I really, really like about what I do. Um, so yeah, we got to see the golf course. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about what you want, what shots you want to hit. Um, you know, a lot of it is, is, is a lot of me being, you know, super, super positive. Um, that's one of the things that, that, that I try and do. I, you know, I learned from my dad that I try and be as much of a cheerleader as I can. Even if the player hits a bad shot, I'll say, you know, listen, that wasn't that bad. We just need to get the golf club a little bit more here because the last thing you want to be doing is putting a lot of doubt in, in, in the players that you work with in their head. So we got good practice rounds in today. Um, went back to the range afterwards. Um, didn't do a ton of stuff. Um, Brooks always likes to go to the range, um, and really just kind of wind down. He does that in practice rounds and he does that in tournament rounds. He likes to go from the golf course, maybe get some lunch, but go back to the range. DJ doesn't really do a lot of practicing after tournament rounds, right? Or after practice rounds, every now and again, we'll go back to the range, but he's just like, yeah, I mean, I felt 
good on the course today. I know what I need to do. We'll get back at it tomorrow. Um, and so that's very different. And, you know, everybody kind of has their own way of practicing. And so a lot of my job, people ask me, you know, describe what your job is. It's as much managing people as it is, you know, teaching golf. Um, and, and let's be honest, right? I'm not actively teaching Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, and Pat Perez anything, right? These guys were great players a long time before they met me, right? Um, I'm not teaching them anything. I think a lot of what I'm doing out here um, on tour is coaching, right? We know what they do when they they play their best. Um, they're the athlete. I'm the coach. I'm I'm, I'm not hitting any shots. So um, they're great players. And a lot of what I'm trying to do is, listen, we know you perform your best when you do these things. We kind of have a recipe a blueprint, and we've got a lot of data points, right? That's the great thing about, you know, working with competitive golfers is, you know, I've been working with DJ since about, I guess, around 2012, 2013. I worked with Brooks for eight years, took a little, you know, took two-year break, and, and we got back together kind of, you know, summer of last year. I know what makes DJ his best, right? I know what DJ does when he's the number one player in the world, when he's winning majors, when he's winning tur uh, tournaments. I know what Brooks does when he plays his best. And in, in, in terms with Pat, I think a lot of my job is to try and make Pat as confident as a player as he can, because Pat can get negative. He can beat himself up. He can... Uh, I think at times he can almost self-sabotage himself by the mental attitude that he has. So I think I'm trying to to do much more of a coaching role with Pat um, probably than any of the players I work with because, you know, it's my job to keep him up. It's my job to keep him positive. It's my job to think get him thinking that he's playing good and that good golf is around the corner. Um, and then lastly, I think a huge part of my job is after after everybody finished today, I went in with um, Brooks Kepka's physio, Mark Wall, who, in my opinion, uh, he he is the most valuable person on, on Brooks's team. Uh, when Brooks first turned pro and he got his PGA Tour card, um, I said to him, I said, you need to hire Mark Wall. Mark Wall was you know, he, he worked with Jimmy Walker. He worked with JB Holmes. He worked with Steve Stricker. Um, he's almost like a savant when it comes to, um, biomechanics, what the body is doing and, and probably someone, um, who I trust as much as anybody. So during the off season, um, Brooks came in and Mark came down and they basically did a, a total diagnostic of Brooks's body um, his, um, his food intake, what he's allergic to, what foods are good for him, what foods aren't good for him. They did a complete 3d screen of what his golf swing was doing. And so I sat for almost two hours with Mark wall today and Mark kind of ran me through everything that's going on with Brooks physically, um, where the limitations are, what the issues are. Um, he's constantly Mark is saying, listen, what are you, what are you seeing in his golf swing? Um, what are you trying to do in his golf swing? And based off of that, I'm looking at what Mark as the guy that's in charge of Brooks's body. Listen, what is his body able to do? What is his body able not to do? And then based off of that, I'm trying to look at what I'm doing and hopefully we're on the same page. But um, I think it was really important in the off season, given some of the injuries that Brooks has had in the last couple of years to kind of get that 
big diagnostic look. It was a pretty lengthy report. I think Mark does a fantastic job at, at making things really, really easy for me to understand. But I, I don't think that, that, that the fans realize what a collaborative effort all of this is. And, and yeah, there's, there's the, the jackass instructor, the jackass reporters and journalists that say, you know, I'm tired of these players talking about their team. It's an individual sport, you know, enough with the team, go play and stuff. But you know, the modern athlete has a team of people around them. And, you know, I am a huge part of that team, but there are so many other people that are a part of that team. And what we're trying to do is get everybody on the same page. Brooks has a big team. Um, DJ has a big team. Pat doesn't necessarily has a, have a huge team. So I think in, in, in my role with Pat, he almost kind of looks at me like a head coach, that I'm the head coach of his team. And he looks to me for a lot of things like that. Um, Brooks and DJ, maybe not so much. Um, you know, Brooks has a putting instructor. He has a short game instructor. He has a trainer. He has Mark Wall as his physio. So, I mean, we've got five, six guys on Brooks's team. DJ's got Joey D as his trainer. He's got a physio. Um, and then I'm in charge of the golf part of it. And then he's got AJ as his caddy. And that's a lot of people. And it's a collaborative effort. And a lot of my job is to sit and meet with all of these people on the team and try and get kind of as much of a 300, you know, kind of a 38,000 foot overview of what everybody's doing and then what I can do from a golf standpoint and going back to you know Brooks's physio Mark Wall there are weeks where Mark will say hey listen Brooks's body isn't moving great this week so we gotta limit how many balls we hit let's try and get quantity out of the window and let's get or let's get quality and not get a ton of reps the reps that we're going to get let's get a lot out of these reps because his body just isn't in a place right now to stand there and hit a ton of golf balls. So um, that's kind of what a normal day is like for me. Obviously, the bigger the tournament, um, things change. I mean, majors, it's different. Um, players are very, very different at majors than they are at regular tour events. I mean, you can just tell. Um, they understand what the stakes are. They understand the um, the task at head. They understand um, the holy grail is winning majors, right? I mean, that's what every tour player wants to win. So when they're at majors, um, they're very different. They're a little bit on edge. I wouldn't say that um, they're panicking, but they're more on edge at, 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 at majors than they are at regular tour events. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I do. We'll do the same thing tomorrow um, and kind of go through that so that kind of same kind of routine. We'll work a little bit on the range. We'll get out on the golf course, um, maybe hit some balls after. But it's a lot of um, it's a lot of me just kind of looking at what they're doing and and being that second pair of eyes, being that coach, and say, listen, we know what you do when you play your best. If we can get the golf club and these positions, if your body can move it in this way, then you can go to the golf course and just play golf. And ultimately, that's my job is to, to send tour players as a, as a tour coach. It's my job to, to get them ready to play tournaments. And I don't really think I'm doing anything different than, you know, Cameron McCormick's doing. We might with Jordan Spieth. Um, Cam works with Jordan Spieth, has worked with Daniel Berger, he just started work with Tom Kim. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with the other coaches. We talk about what the players are doing. I, I, I'm not someone 
that is is afraid to to talk to other coaches. A lot of times I'll say to the coaches that whose opinions I I trust and believe in, I'll say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this move? What do you think about this problem? And and try and take some information from the other players. I'm so lucky in in being able to work on tour to have the availability to have access to what I believe are some of the best coaches in the world, um, to be able to pick their brains, to talk to them about what they're working on with players, to say, hey, what are you guys going to do on seven? What are you guys going to do on nine? What are you, are you guys hitting driver on this hole? Are you guys hitting three wood? Um, where do you see the miss on this hole? So it's a constant, I guess it's a constant quest for information for me. It's a constant quest for knowledge to try and figure out all of this stuff that that makes golfers this giant puzzle we're trying to put these puzzle pieces in. Um, Listen, I'm not digging ditches. I have an unbelievable job. I'm incredibly lucky. It's long hours. Um, It's a lot of standing outside and um, I've got a horrendous golf tan because I'm outside all the time. But, um, you know, I consider myself so unbelievably lucky that, uh, you know, some of the best players in the world would entrust me to um, help them with their golf. And I never, never take that lightly. Um, it means something to me. Um, and, and I really feel like I, I'm incredibly lucky to, to get to do what I do. And um, I'm excited for the year. Um, when you see these guys play well, Trust me, there is a lot of stuff that goes into that. There are a lot of people working behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm very, very thankful and very lucky to be a part of that. So that's kind of a, a day in the life um, of, of, of what I do on the on tour. And, um, you know, I love it. It's a huge part of my life. And, you know, I'm excited um, to continue to do it. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forest, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. So a lot of stuff happening in golf uh, last week. Finally, John Rahm gets to number one in the world. Um, it makes absolutely no sense to me if you look at the record that John Rahm has had in the last 
three, four months that it's taken this many wins for him to get to number one in the world. And I think John's talked about it. I think a lot of people are talking about it. I think there's got to be a different way to start ranking players that are playing competitive golf because um, John Rahm has been the number one ranked player in the world for a long time. And, um, you know, we saw Tiger Woods come back last week. Um, yeah, I mean, it was good to see Tiger back. I mean, Tiger, he's the goat. Um, he's the needle. And, you know, it was good to see him back. Um, and we saw some good golf from Tiger. So I don't know if we'll be able to see Tiger a lot because I don't know, you know how much his body um, can hold up. Um, I know some of the guys that, that work with Tiger behind the scenes on, you know, his physical and his body and it takes a village. And, and, and it was nice to hear Tiger say, you know, last week, hey, I want to thank my team uh, for getting me ready. Um, I, I don't think anybody has any concept of all of the things that it takes for Tiger Woods to play golf in 2023. Um, it's not Band-Aids that he's able to put on um, the physical issues that he's got. It takes an enormous amount of work from um, some incredibly talented and smart people that are helping him. Um and uh, yeah, it was fun to see him. Um, it was good to see Max Homa. Uh, he's, it's been fun to watch Max kind of become one, in my opinion, one of the best players in the world. Um, he's, he's such a likable character. Love his golf swing. I, I think the work he and his instructor, Mac, Mark Blackburn, have done um, has really started to pay off and has really turned him into one of the best players in the world. But um, an iconic golf course, Riviera, Always great to see that golf course. Uh, I think it's one of the the gems of, of of golf courses in the United States. It's it's a great design. Um, it's in a great part of the world, and um, yeah, I mean, the golf season in full flow. I'm excited for Live to get back up and running. If you're not a Live fan, I'm okay with that. Um, it's okay. I mean, if it's not for you, if you don't like the product for whatever reason. That's cool. Um, I'm not a country music fan. I don't listen to country music. Um, doesn't mean the country music is bad. It's just not my jam. It's, it's not my thing. And if live isn't your thing, that's okay too. Um, but I'm excited. Um, I think we're going to see some good golf. And um, 2023 is, is you know, for me, is finally getting up and running. Um, can't thank everybody enough for listening. Um, if you're new, if, if you're new to the podcast, We've got a bunch of great episodes. We've got a bunch of great guests. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much. Um, we're going to keep trying to get as much information as possible. Um, I'm doing some of these solo pods because the feedback's been pretty good. People, you know, my job is I teach golf for a living. And I think everybody listening wants to improve their golf. And if I can help and and, and tell my story and, and give my um, experiences and, and the information that, that I use. Um, hopefully that's helping players. And um, that's been the feedback. Um, we will, I promise we'll get back to the guests soon, but um, everybody had to suffer with another CH3 podcast this week. Uh, looking forward to seeing you next week. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? 
Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.